This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Tracker. Make losing things a thing of the past. Pair Tracker to your smartphone, attach it to anything, and find its precise location with the tap of a button. Go to thetracker.com and enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN to receive 20% off any purchase. Today's show is also sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy your postage online at a fraction of the price without ever having to leave your home. To receive a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale, go to Stamps.com and use promo code BADCHRISTIAN. That's all one word, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Happy birthday to a dumbass. <laughs> you look like a piece of poop. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. Thank you, guys. Welcome to the show. Matt, in honor of your birthday, I decided to uh, not say shit early on in the podcast. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh, shit, dog. Oh. I said poop instead. <laughs> Very good. I did that for you. So I, it's, it's your birthday. You're how old? What, what, 38. I don't even know. 38, 38 years 38. old. Yeah. You, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like when Joey turned 40, I'd said the same thing, but like you have a 38 year old colon right now. 38 I mean, that year thing, old and you have never seen it. Nope. <laughs> I mean, that is so crazy. There's something, things that are 30. I have a 41 year old heart, 41 year old. All those things are just, that's, that scares me. Like, man, what a run. Now, I mean, the only if, one that what, scare what other you thing is do you the have heart. that run? The heart like, is what? the scary one. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like it, it's like at any moment. But what other thing? What thing have you ever bought almost that lasts and runs and works well? This well for 40 years. Well, there's a, things that are good. Do like I have a guitar that's from you know 1950 and it's good. Yeah. So there's something. Just a, it's just proof and intelligent design. Duh. But I don't like thinking about a heart. You know, the heart has. Uh, this is something I learned recently. Maybe Nobody can true. make things like God can make them. But the heart, your heart beats. I mean. It's easy for anybody to do the simple thing and say, well, your heart beats a certain amount of times. I mean, it's a finite number of beats you get. It's not going to beat a bazillion. But I think it's somewhere close to right. a billion or a billion and a half total heartbeats that, that you get on <laughs> average. So it's a little bit weird to think about it, you know, in those terms. But the, they say it's interesting It's almost all animals have about the same amount of heartbeats in them, but their lifespans are different based on uh, sometimes like your heart rate. So um, a rat gets about a billion and a half heartbeats too, but their heartbeats faster. So the lifespan is quicker. Like that know, is interesting. It's not. A, I don't know if it's exactly true, but it's some proportionality to the way life scales. It, it, that, that's interesting in that way. But for a human, I think it's a billion or a billion and a half kind of heartbeats you get on average. So thirty-eight uh, years worth. Still, here they go. Everyone you that waste. Every awful. single one you waste. You know. That's what I'm saying. If you're if you're you have a guitar from the 50s, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is really awesome. But what if the, one of the guitar strings broke, meant you die? Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, that's it. When the guitar strings break, you can't replace them. That's what your heart is. Right. More like, yeah. Unless right. we get there. But yeah, totally. that's true. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. you don't care. I'm, you don't care about birthdays and stuff like that. Are you celebrating at all? Have you? Do you celebrate on your birthday or like the weekend before? I don't do a lot. Weekend after? I don't do a lot. I did have my sister and sister in law was in town this weekend, 
And so we we had a little party at the house, and they were here to see the girls and, and all that. So it was real nice over the weekend. But today's work day for me. So uh, as soon as I get done with this, I am going to work on the Tooth & Nail podcast for this week, which is an episode about under oath that's going to be really good. So it'll okay. get the rest of my day. I'm not even going home for supper. So I'll be here today from, Lord. from now until probably yeah, bedtime. So I won't see hey, anybody sorry. or do anything on my actual birthday at all. Sorry, it's your first birthday without your mom, man. Thank you, Joey. Yep. God, Joey. <laughs> oh, Lord. That hey, it, it, hey, does that does that bum Bridget out that you're not coming home? Because you said Bridget's the type of person that wants to hype everything up and do no, really no. cool stuff. No, no. She got to have a party at her house this weekend already. Gotcha. So that's what gotcha. she likes to, to get to do something. She didn't care about me or like yeah. being nice to me on my birthday or anything. That so so I I was kind of playing into my stereotype of always bringing things down a bunch with <laughs> with sadness, but that's got. I just thought about that. That's got to be really weird not to hear from your mom on your birthday. Yeah. Like, do, does your mind work this that way to where you present you could have gotten Matt? <laughs> the way too. Just just the memory of his. No, it. You're mom. right though. There's something. Does to, that mess with you? Well, yeah, but this, so this whole year will be that way. Like everything that happens this year will be the first year, or the first time you go. Oh, there's this, and she's not here for this kind of thing. I'm sure that's a common thing that people have lost somebody will do. So, yeah. like for instance, this Christmas, it'll be a good one. Yeah. Not not really, but it'll be, you know. That's just that's just how it goes. So yeah, this is the first time my mom won't call me today or forget to call me today or whatever it would have been, you know. So yeah. something to that for sure. So Joey, this is exactly what you went through a decade ago with <laughs> Mama Jean. Yeah, <laughs> that first year a decade ago, you when you said goodbye to her. How's she doing, Joey? Is she doing good? <laughs> she she actually uh, came to her senses for a split second. She told my mom, "I really." really like to eat and then she paused and said food <laughs> she had to clarify what she what's so hilarious is she's always liked to eat so that was like a very sensical comment yeah. that she Runs made my family. mom just yeah my mom <laughs> shut up that's where you get it from that's where you get everybody it from. likes to eat the uh i didn't tell y'all this but uh what my, my least favorite thing the thing that makes me feel like a regular person is when is when I worry about the little baby. So Jerry got a fever the other right. day. So that's when oh, I, all yeah. of a sudden, on, when I'm not able to override, I notice it that I'm not able to use my normal brain to override the way that I feel. And, you know, I can't really tell myself it's no big deal. That's one of the only times right. it's like that. So I use this rule. I say, if you, if somebody else told you this about them or their family or their whatever, would you think it's a big deal? If not, you should act accordingly. Like if you told me that if somebody says, I'm afraid to fly and I, I say, well, if your wife is flying, do you get scared for her? And they say, no, then I say, well, you shouldn't be afraid to fly. Right. You're yeah. not worried about right. her the whole time she's on the airplane it means you don't actually right. think there's a danger. That's, you know, so use your brain to tell yourself that and whatever. But when, and so if you told me that your daughter had a fever of 102 or 101, I'd go, eh, probably fine. And I wouldn't think about it again, you know, which is what anybody would think about me. But when it is me, that's one right. that I can't, I don't, I don't have, frustrates me because I'm not able to override and tell myself what I know is, is probably fine. But we have a nanny. She came over the day that, that Jerry had the, the fever. I woke up in the middle of the night. She was just burning up on fire. It makes me just feel Ugh, weak. I hate that. Oh, I know. So the nanny comes in and, and 
I was telling her, listen, I'm going to work, but I want you to make sure this, check her here, but try to keep her hydrated. The doctor said this, whatever, because I called the doctor. And, um, she said, okay. She said, uh, my brother had a fever one time for four days. I was like, really? Uh, and, and they said, yeah, they couldn't figure out what it was. And, and uh, I, said, I said, well, what was it? She said, leukemia. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, I got to go to work. I'll see you later. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Can you believe that? Oh, God. I was like, that's the the crazy thing about (laughs) fevers and all that stuff when you're a parent because it's like everything in you, you want to be chill and, you know, think to yourself, no, everything's fine. Everybody has fevers. But then you have those one in a million times when your kid actually has something super serious that yeah, if right. you would have just taken them to the hospital, if you would have just taken them, everything would be fine. So that's tough, man. It's it, tough it's being funny. a parent because I, I, it rests on you. Yeah. I was thinking about this this weekend. I, uh, so the kids, we have a, uh, tree in the front and they were picking up acorns and stuff they just like picking it up and our son ike he likes to collect them or whatever but i got them three bags you know like walmart bags shopping bags, plastic bags and i probably said it i mean 15 times where they had to think i was so stupid you can put acorns in the bag do not put the bag on your head do not put the bag on your head if i see the bag on your head you're going to be in big trouble it can hurt you it you will be in you know you will get in big trouble this, this and i kept saying it oh and i was like what am i doing i sound why so stupid why is acorns and, on their head is bad cuz why no the bag they were collecting <laughs> acorns in the bag they were putting oh, acorns in the bag oh you just worried about a plastic bag on their head right the plastic yeah. bag on their head cuz they'll get ideas and start playing with it and think it's hilarious running around the yard with a plastic bag and I, and i was just saying it over and over and i realized i was like all i'm really saying here is don't die just don't die no matter what don't die don't even think about dying do not die mm-hmm. I, it would have been the exact same thing almost like that's it is so petrifying to me you're right for kids to get hurt like it there's nothing that makes me feel weaker and when i like we say i, I, I told you all this story before when ike broke his arm I, like i didn't catch it i didn't i was almost like uh, mean to him because i thought he was crying for no reason just being a baby even though his arm was broken and when they get fevers or anything mm-hmm. like that it is just devastating like i just hate it I, it it's the number one thing too like whenever i see it on facebook when people kids get sick or anything like that i just I, I actually do like go lord just please like i that that does break my heart and yeah. i do actually pray for them absolutely a lot yeah. of times i think prayer might not be that much or that god is in control so what am i like i can question prayers uh strength and capabilities but i, I have nowhere to turn when i see little kids hurt or sick it just devastates it makes me feel like you said it literally makes me feel weak as water like i am nothing there's nothing i can do this thing it's so precious, and I love it so much, mm-hmm. and it's just destroying me. It's yes. killing me. But I like that, though, because I really find, I really, like, I guess I appreciate, first of all, yes, I pray in these times, and I mean it. I'm like, okay. Right. I, I don't true. know if anything's anything. I don't know what, what, but God, please, you know, I can really get there, and I guess I kind of value that touch with reality because i know the next day i'm gonna be back to my normal self making jokes saying nothing matters and who fuck cares about whatever you know right. and i think and these times i just feel so humble you know like stuff like that and i think the uh, this is this is, shouldn't be a stretch for anybody the other time that i feel that same connection to like the deepness of reality where i uh feel affected by stuff and emotional and aware and thankful and gratitude is if i have a Present. hangover Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> if I have a hangover, I'm like, holy shit, I'm not invincible. Things are real. Stuff matters. Because I don't get sick a lot, you know. But right. if I, I had a hangover the other day, and this is 100% true, when my sisters were here, and 
Bridget, we went out and I had two beers at a pizza place. And then I, we went to one other place and uh, I had a whiskey. One whiskey drink. It was yeah. it wasn't even big. I had three drinks, and I don't know what the reason was, but I had a hangover the next day. Like I felt awful. I had a, like a yeah. my head hurt, and I was nauseous, and the, the whole shebang. And I just felt again super weak and all. I, I was so I get so mad because I could drink so much more than that and not have a hangover. So if I get a hangover, first of all, I'm a- very angry about it. But um, clearly, that's what it was, and. I just feel so so weak, whatever. I feel affected by everything. I feel like I love my family so much. If I just see my girls and hold them and stuff like that. And I read it was right <laughs> when you sent that article about about Dabo Sweeney getting the contract extension. About, yeah. So he's got this, or I saw it somewhere. I think you sent it, but so Dabo Sweeney, the coach of Clemson, got a contract extension, eight years, fifty-four million dollars. And I this is just so I was just so happy to see that, and I felt so good about that fact. But I was feeling so weak or whatever, and I just thought about Clemson and the national championship and everything, and I was just totally emotionally moved, and like I could get tears. I was like, if I try, I could cry right now. And I went to the mirror and looked at myself, and I had a tear in my eye, and I had a hangover, yeah. and I was like, you know. It's just this totally other mode that I don't feel like at all, and I, I I feel like I identify with other people when I when either something bad happens or I have a hangover or something like that. I feel like this is what other people are like when they're actually controlled by their feelings, kind of thing. Pretty uh-huh. funny. <laughs> nice. I'm glad you got to experience that. What what if what wouldn't this be really awesome if there was a built-in system that God made to where adults never had to live without their kids so if their kid died they automatically die it's almost like a queen ant if you kill the queen ant like all the other ants die like right when your child dies you die that'd be cool yes unless you have more than one kid anyway then they die too you're just everybody you're all just dead (laughs) good lord joey how often do you think about death and just sadness listen 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 to this that's not even depression that's what i'm saying like you're not depressed like you're kind of joyful you're like listen listen my dad my dad sees me at church and we're two minutes into a conversation because it's before church starts he's stuffing the bulletins and he says Hey, son. He's like, little trivia for you. He's like, you know that movie, Mr. Holland's Opus? I'm like, of course. I love that movie. He's like, the coach on that show. He just died last night. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, now this is only for the video uh, viewing audience right now, but Joey's doing a little bit of lounging, but where his microphone is... The way his microphone is sitting is the funniest thing in the world to me at this moment. It looks as if you are gripping the the boom of the microphone stand, and there is no bass, but the microphone stand itself is being gripped and held between, put it back, between your your right tit and your stomach. <laughs> as if you're squeezing it right there, talking into it, leaning back. And your shirt and the way your yellow uh, cover on your microphone looks like you're eating a yellow ice cream. Like He's a candy striper like eating an ice cream <laughs> with his flab. <laughs> Very funny. But yeah, you're right. Vertical stripes supposed to make you look a little more slender, but your posture does the opposite here. So you love the that is offset. All right. Um, Let me take a second here and tell y'all about one of my uh, favorite sponsors we have, and that's Tracker. Okay, so it's like 8.45 in the morning. I'm in a huge rush, getting out the door, yelling at my daughter. She's late for school. Georgia, get your stuff. We're going to the car now, now, now. She's putting her shoes on. I say, grab your water bottle. Get your snack. I'll grab your backpack. And then rushing out the door. You know, this is kind of a normal thing, except for I can't find my car keys on the way out. Until... 
I pull out my smartphone, click the tracker app, and immediately a 90 decibel alert is sounding on my keys up under the baby's crib in the girl's room. So saved my butt. That could have been bad. I could have, I mean, it could have taken an hour to find those things, but it took me seconds because I have and use Tracker. Uh, Tracker is awesome. So the Tracker Pixel is the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. You can place the Tracker Pixel on whatever you tend to lose. Keys, wallets. I mean, you can do it on your cat if you want to. It's small enough to fit anywhere. And if you misplace an item, you use your smartphone. Like I said, a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. It even has an LED light so you can see it in the dark. So if you lose your phone, here's the awesome thing. You can push the button on the Tracker and it'll cause your smartphone to ring. So if you lose your phone, this is really a good thing. You just have it on your keys and you'll hear your phone ring even if it's on silent. You can locate stuff even if it's miles away. And that's because they have a crowd locate network. In fact, the biggest crowd locate network in the world. So it's like Waze, but for finding your stuff. Go to thetracker.com. That's tracker, T-R-A-C-K-R, thetracker, thetracker.com, and enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN to get 20% off any order. That's thetracker.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN for 20% off tracker.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some sad things in the world, including uh, storm and everything in Houston this week. That's big news yeah, and everything. Uh, it's worth considering whether or not Toby, your song Forever Rain is complicit or uh, retribution on. from God for being sacrilegious that you have caused. You sound like caused the rain. <laughs> Jerry Falwell or something like right. that. That's well, I terrible. Mean, you, you may have caused it is what I'm No, suggesting. No, I think my song might be helping people get through it. It is really bad, though, down there. I mean, like, have y'all seen some of the videos and stuff? The yeah. flooding is unreal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, and, and Texas floods. Like when I, our old bus, the generator, which is cost ten thousand dollars to replace a generator, it was flooding. What was that? Probably two years ago, yeah, and and uh, it just flooded and destroyed our generator. Even so, I can't imagine the damage that that stuff's doing right now. But um, it is interesting. You bring up forever rain. All those that don't know, I think most people do know right now. But I basically kind of wrote a parody song. Super quickly called Forever Rain, which I did. I named it that. Nobody even mentioned that. Nobody ever mentioned that Hillsong has a song called Forever Rain, but it's R E I G N. I did that on purpose. I thought that'd be kind of funny. I, mine is R A I N. But uh, it, I think I learned a few things this week uh, about worship music. Or I'll say personally learned. But it, I, I don't know if, if y'all thought any of the responses or read them, but there, there are several things that just stuck out to me. One, Let me make sure know everybody how, knows what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we got for, the Forever Rain is a, essentially a parody of a worship song that Toby wrote quickly, did on the podcast one day. Then we decided to get it actually recorded into a, a real version, and we released it last week on iTunes under Toby Morrell. And it's been um, in the charts ever since, as high, in the top 20 at least. I don't know what the highest chart position is. The highest you? it got was number 12. <laughs> Oh, nice good. <laughs> so it's number twelve Which on the Christian hilarious. charts there. And there's a video song. that I did too that is, I think, pretty funny. So yep. uh, yeah, so and you can get it right now. You can go purchase it if you want, and uh, you know we'll we'll definitely take your definitely watch We'd the video. It. That's that's yeah. the full effect for sure. Yeah, for sure. But uh, okay, so here's some things I learned. Okay, one uh, thing is, so many people said, "Dude, you blew it. Like you could seriously just write Christian music and get paid." Like you made a parody song, you should have just. That, I mean, that song's good enough to where if you worked a little bit, you could actually make some real money being a real Christian uh, songwriter, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, 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 I, I understand now. Everybody sees it, but, it, it, but maybe Christians don't or something. But everybody, 
it is just a business. Like, hey, you can make money writing songs about God. Mm-hmm. That's what you know what I mean. Like, like what, what you did is no it, different than what top songwriters do, other than they don't. Right. They're, they're here's the thing. The, even the top songwriters, it's not crazy. They're not that different than you, and they don't take it much more seriously than you. And I'm not being mean right. about them. I mean, right. they're just doing what they see as a job. And the fact that it's parodies really almost only the acknowledgement that it's a parody. That's what's really interesting <laughs> about this line. It's really only the acknowledgement and a couple of lines and delivery here or there that that are any different than it would be otherwise. I mean, yeah. no, it's a no, really yeah, blurry that's what I'm line saying. there. But but everybody kind of senses it. Oh, it is a business, and you just if you write those songs, you get mm-hmm. you can make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like, they, like they're even thinking, you know, like Chris Tomlin or whatever. They people deep down inside realize, wait a minute, this guy is just, you know. And so that's what really kind of anybody. No, I was blown away at how many people got it and understood. Maybe that's due to, I mean, the reach of this podcast. Even like it kind of well, certainly is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah so, that's what I'm so saying. But, I mean, people do get it, but but the thing that is kind of is pretty wild to me is that wait a minute, yeah, I I can't do that. That would be that would actually be the wrong thing. Like. What I did, the writing the parody song stuff, that's not sin. That's not wrong. If I actually did it for real to make money, that would be. So yeah, I would, just, I would literally be leveraging my belief in God to write these songs, like because mm-hmm. I wouldn't believe in it. I, it, it the, the songs are really just to try and put out there, and they're not to me oftentimes that good or that well thought out or mm-hmm. artistic. And so, the, if I actually wrote the songs for real like that, Christian CCM stuff. Um, I, I would be doing the wrong thing. That's why That's I like our album. Matt and Toby feels so good because I didn't do that. It actually wrestles with God a little bit. The lyrics there, you know, and some of them are old hymns and things that we I can really I can feel proud of that. Like I'm honoring my mm-hmm. God. If I did it the other way, it literally would just be for money, just It'd to be, get paid. You'd find yeah, that. I love. I, I actually love how you responded to that guy that said, "Hey, why don't you try writing a sincere worship song instead of making fun of it?" And you said, "Yeah, I don't know I if, do he's, it. if he wrote it like that and his thought." Audible. <laughs> Every time, ba- <laughs> basically, your answer was, "Yeah, it's called Matt and Toby albums." I love that. But he- here's something that I thought was just so crazy, and uh, Priscilla made a point with this as well. So I- I'll put this on her because it definitely sounds like pretty braggy. But if you go through the iTunes comments, you know, Toby mentioned how many people got it there. It's one after another after another hilarious comments of people continuing the parody by saying stuff Mm -hmm. like, you know, I listened to this. I had diabetes before I listened to it. By the time (laughs) the song was over, the diabetes were gone. And then some people were like saying very worshipful things about Jesus, but they were they they were purposely very sexual. (laughs) And so Priscilla said how amazing it is that that we have a group of people that follow us that literally put this song on the charts of uh, on Christian charts and gets the joke but here's what i think is so funny is you take just your average christian music listener if they stumbled across toby's song which is very feasible for that to happen given where it was at in the charts and they just went through the comments i mean you've got people that are really big into super spiritual bethel healing and all that stuff they'd be like Holy cow, I've got to get this song. Like, all these people are talking about yeah. healing and restoration and how moving it is. I've got to hear this for myself. It's just, well, it, it really is a neat thing. And I think y'all were talking about this last week. It's like a deeper form of, of art. Mm-hmm. Just the complexity of it is super well, yeah. neat. 
Let's th- let's stay there a second because Toby brings up an interesting thing which I hadn't thought about till he said it there about really the ethics of, of what it is. You're saying um, we, we're in this complex area, which is really neat. But the ethics of it would say that in general, people would think what you've done is kind of the bad guy thing, the shock jock thing, the asshole thing, right. the make fun of thing, or even the sacrilegious thing. That would be right. the way that it's seen. But your actual deep, real, and authentic feelings would be to do it, you have the ability, and you could do it legit. And a lot of people, to, in order to take that and do it in the legit way, would be less ethical than what you've done. It'd be more right. unethical for yeah. you to use that power to go just make money and give people what they want in a straight way versus this parody type of artistic expression. Right, that's the way it feels to me because obviously I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can write songs like that, and I mean, it, it would be awesome to make a lot of money and provide for my family. But I would actually feel like that was the wrong thing. Right. I would be only doing that, writing songs like that, mm-hmm. for the money. Right, like that, yeah, that but, really but, would be wrong. But and if I, I you, wrote, I wrote "Forever Rain." You would I think mean, it was it's, wrong. It, yeah. to, right, it, to me, it's not just a joke. Like it really is trying to expose. What is going on when we worship our God that we don't even hardly think mm-hmm. about it? So you that think I could write a, song, I could write a parody song? Good. Yeah, yeah, I could write a parody song and people think it's real because they don't they don't even think about it or listen to it or anything like that. Like it, it's just what's on what what's been given to you. Hey, this is Christian. Listen to it. Sure. This is Fox News. Well, take it for the God's word or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that is where I'm trying to expose a little bit here, which is actually is, a good is, thing and helpful and necessary. Yeah, I think it's actually useful, yeah. not some punk ass thing to do to fuck with people like you know what right. i mean like it's and yeah. that's really the real subtle thing about art and parody and satire and it drives me crazy when those things don't aren't seen as valid or useful or or something i i think they're more useful and the fact that of course the people leaving the comments and the people that have it in the charts and are buying it are our fans but we're as it is a social experiment to me it's very very satisfying because it's not it's demonstrating movement in culture with more per- yeah. people, it's not a trick. It's not a trick. It's not a game or a trick. We're doing something. Right. We're exposing something. We're playing with the boundaries of stuff and causing people to think or participate or be willing to participate with us. And you know, all every interaction you have, somebody's talking about it. There's a bunch of word of mouth here. This is movement, and it's healthy and it's positive. And and it's it's so weird to me for people to see to to wish their categories were clear. And there's boundaries, and there's people that make Christian music, and they shouldn't be scrutinized, and there's people that consume it, and there's non-Christians. Instead, you're creating a real complexity in the world that challenges people, makes them think, empowers other people, gives them permission to question things and push boundaries. These this is positive, real movement in culture and society, and Christianity is in deep need of that. Obviously, right. so that it's not a bubble. This is bursting bubbles. This is progress. And I agree with you. If it's funny or a joke or whatever, I understand somebody thinking it's wrong or they don't want to participate or it makes them feel icky. I understand that too. But nonetheless, it's I, I'm, I am in agreement with you. The more ethical thing to do is to do this this way than you know the other than the other. What, way. What, interesting point what about what about this middle ground? Like Toby, would you be comfortable with with being very candid? with your approach and you say, look, I just wrote an album. It's 10 songs. Um, if you interview me and ask, you know, where these songs came from, here's my answer. I wrote this worship album to make money. If people want to worship to them, great. In fact, that'd be really awesome if it got into the churches because that means more money to me. But I wrote these songs because I thought people would like them 
and I came up with the words in a way that I thought people would like them. <laughs> this is not even how I would write a song from my heart. And you just pretty, I, I mean, because well, if, if had, music is really there, a business and, and you guys, including myself, critique the Christian music industry as being a business, what's wrong with you jumping right into that and just admitting that's what you did? I mean, well, it's unethical, I had, though, really. To, yeah, not, well, if, not, if he, not if he's saying that. Well, I had one oh. thought. Uh, the way I would do that is, okay, first of all, it does take time to write songs and then to record them properly yeah. and, and a lot of money and all that stuff. Chris Keene, who recorded the rec, that song, Forever Rain, it just nailed it. I mean, he just knows exactly what he's doing. Part of that seems really fun. I, the only way I could do it is if I could pay for myself to have time to do it and then every uh, single dime after that, goes directly to a charity or something i thought about that but even that feels a little icky like i'm still getting i'd have to do it because i'd have to get paid to use my time to do that i have to just like everybody else in the world i have to work but i don't know if that would be the best use of my time or if that would be that helpful um but i want to say another thing too we're talking about this and the artistic side of whatever so last night i'm working in the garage and i'm i just turn on spotify uh christian playlists like hot hot christian music or whatever it is popular christian music and i just really realized even when I, I wrote the song that what our christian music has become and this is probably maybe it's for just evangelicals maybe it's in christians in general it really has become a romanticized thing like we we have romanticized jesus like jesus is our lover like we're like we have to woo him or he woos uh, he makes everything better it's just like girl you broke my heart but you're the only thing i need like you could listen to some lyrics and it would be uh, about whoever else and it would be the same thing like and it Oftentimes, the lyrics now are about us, just like the sermons are. Like, it's so crazy. Just listen to any, uh, I would not any, but majority of sermons that happen this weekend, and it will be about how God makes your life better. Or if you get, if you accept God, this is what you get in return. Like, it's just it to me is so crazy. It really is like a lover that we're trying to woo, and it, oh man, God does love us, and I love you, and it's so awesome, and it's amazing. It's like a rom-com silliness sometimes. Like, I, I was Jesus, so disappointed man. that our music is so much about us and our relationship and, uh, and who we are and my Jesus. Like Some of the lyrics are like that, and it's so disappointing that this is how we worship God by mm-hmm. talking a lot about ourselves and what we get. And, and Oh, you know what? Now that I believe in God, everything's better. Or life's hard, but with God, it's all better. I mean, I've said this for a long time, but it's just so clear to me now that the music we worship God, that we use to worship God and the lyrics, are worshiping ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're worshiping ourselves. We're yeah. talking about us. It's, We're not mostly yeah. talking about God. There's a few things about God thrown in, but it's mostly about us and what we get. Mm-hmm. Well, let me try and take a little bit of the mystery out of what the art, the art side of it too. Anything becomes a, the art form is no longer art when it's easy to copy and so formulaic is past. You know, like for instance, could you make a song that sounds like the Beatles or the? I mean, think about it this way in the silliest sense: Beatles, Monkeys. And then if I wanted to make that music today to be played but be license-free to make 60s pop rock like that, anybody could do it, right? It, you don't have, yeah. But the, when the Beatles did it, it was groundbreaking, just so such a leap forward, so artistic, so real. Now that same thing, it's very easy to understand what it is and what it was. Now that you have the context and you understand it, it could be done. In fact... You could have computer programs that do stuff similar by studying studying it, stuff like that. So I was reading an article about AI, which I tend to do, and it ha- and Christian music same way. Obviously, it's able to be done. It's funny because you can look back and copy a Beatles song with historical context, but Christian music's so bad that it can be done in real time as its current art form. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like you can't go and, and find the new edgiest sound on pop radio and emulate it instantly because it's the fact that it's just now developed is what makes it amazing and energetic and full of life and artistic. It's not just formulaic. Um, or at least the best music is. Some pop music is that way and Christian yeah. music's that way. So much so that just by being proficient, you can emulate it fully. But being that as it may, that means the artificial intelligence will be able to do it very, very soon. And so I was reading right. an article. I had 300 and something researchers that are the top minds in AI and stuff like that. And they're trying to map out when AI will be able to do certain things. And they've got it at generate a top 40 song that will be in the charts in about 13 years from now. Like, wow. The song will be written by machine. They'll be wow. able to do the process that you underwent where you go, what do they typically do? What are the, I'm analyzing the lyrics. I'm doing deep learning on the chord functions and the melodies and the things that work. When they can take enough data from enough stuff that's pleasing people from Spotify's API, they'll be able to you know, say, oh, these lyrics, you know, the same way you sit down, I wow, write a country songs about your crazy. dog or whatever. So that's not that far off. And it's, and it's even before... They say retail salesperson job will be eclipsed at, in about 15, 14 or 15 years. When it'll be when the when the robot will be able to go, you know what? But for you, I tell you what, buddy, here's what you need. You know, like speak to people's concerns <laughs> and read their body language better right. than you can. So these things that that were once art, maybe you know, or or something may not be. Well, I thought that was really interesting. But you're still ahead of AI, Toby, at least. Which is yeah, good. but that's the that's what's really funny is what you're going to see is the robot will write what the people want. That's right. That's right. Not what they need. That's right. Uh, it, it, like even with music or whatever, it's just oh, this is what I want, uh, yeah, and not that necessarily that's even the worst but thing in the world. But it will work. It will be. But it yes, will. it will work. Mm -hmm. But that, that's what I'm saying. Is that what is that the music we're writing? Just what you that's want? Right. Like, is exactly. there no wrestling the with God? Like, is God and Matt, always is that like lyrics that's the point and that music? That illustrates. Yes. Yeah. I don't think they're saying it'll necessarily the robot will sing. It. Right. I'm saying it'll compose the song. Or something. My, I mean, that's what, I, that's what I was saying. I, I was looking at stuff and I, and I, I was just like, man, why? Why are people uh, a little bit nervous or scared about bands like King's Kaleidoscope or John Mark mm. McMillan's album or, or like like really allowing yourself to wrestle with God a little bit? Like, can't we write songs where we it's not just love and God makes everything better? Like, the real thing is, well, is it is it my responsibility to prove God or is it my responsibility to pursue God and allow uh, myself to uh, experience what might be true? Is all that, that? Those are the things that I don't understand. I mean, it can't just be this only. Like, mm -hmm. is this what we have to sing about God? And if you step out of those boundaries, then you might be doing something bad or evil. Right. Like, it just speaks. There, to the there demand, are some people though. that think what I did yeah. is evil and wrong, mm -hmm. and then I'm making fun of God. Mm -hmm. And I right. that's the farthest thing from what I did. I made fun of the people, right. just like that's the right. Pharisees. All those things. That's exactly what I was doing. I which, never, which I imagine didn't which, make fun of God. which imagine people that are dedicating their lives to writing worship music. That's very offensive to them, which to me highlights the issue of what you just described as far as what, what you're actually after in this, you know? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. for, for these people that dedicate their lives to uh, writing worship songs that would be upset with you, they feel like they do need to defend God because they feel like you are attacking God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two, a couple people asked me how much money we made. I haven't seen it yet, but I'll, oh, we'll look up the numbers. We know, we'll, right? we, we, yeah. How long will it be before we know from, you know? We'll tell people, though. I'm not, not going to hide that or anything. We'll be able to see it within the next week or so, but we won't actually get the money for it. Okay, but maybe in a week or so we'll know how many people pay, like a number of people that bought it or something like that. Okay. That'd be cool. We'll give you a little bit of info on it. So, All right, enough, enough rant, ranting and raving. Sorry, guys. No problem. But congratulations on the, on the experiment part of it. It's been fun. It's been fun to see.
I know. Wait till you see what's coming next is all I'll say. <laughs> all right. Let's uh we're gonna have our friend Ray Harkins on here and get to doing some talking. But before that, let me let Toby or me no Toby tell you about stamps.com. All right, folks. Uh you probably don't know this, but Jess, my wife, and I are taking over all shipping responsibilities for all of our merchandise. Uh, filling, you know, fulfilling orders, d- doing all the pre-sale, everything now. And guess what we're going to be using? Of course, stamps.com because they make everything so user-friendly for a 41-year-old man who doesn't know much. I can just stamps.com all day long because they make it so nice and easy and, uh, dare I say, even fun. Uh, stamps.com saves you time and money which we're using to grow our business, and that's true. Uh, I can mail any letter, any package, using just my computer and printer, and the mailman picks it up. It's just so cool. Avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes to packages, domestic or international. Create your Stamps account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Click, print, mail, and you're done. Y'all hear me? Click, print, mail, and you're done. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes uh, and print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7, and that's why we use it. Jess and I love it. It's awesome. So right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian, all one word, Bad Christian. That's Stamps.com. Enter Bad Christian. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right. Thank you there. All right, let's see if Ray will pop up. Hey, Ray. Hey. How's it going? Um, I didn't maybe mention this before, but before we get going, being that you're a pro and you've obviously got your microphone set up there, can you re- record your end and send it to us? Yeah, let me just fire up uh, G- good old GB. Yes, if you can do that while we're talking, that's fine. If not, my bad for not asking in advance. But just so people All- know, let me tell people how it works. If the guest will send us their end of the recording, then it's very, very, very easy to drop Toby's and Joey's and the guest track in there and line them up with this Skype call and then get rid of the Skype call entirely. Now, if they don't, then all I have left, or the edit, whoever's editing has left, is the Skype call, which has Toby and Joey and the guest on it, in which case if we want to use Toby's and Joey's audio that they send from there in that they record really well, that means you have to go in and every time Toby and Joey are talking, you have to delete it from the Skype track manually and leave only the guests. So you have to manually go through and cut and cut in and out whether you're using the Skype track or Toby and Joey. But it's hard to get a lot of podcasters to do that or make a good recording. So it's much appreciated when people like Ray can do it. So thank you, Ray. <laughs> it's, it's it's my pleasure. I, I like how you have to get into those super intricate details well, so people can be like, oh, oh yeah, I see what's that. We've see what's had happening. so much. I mean, it's so easy to make mistakes editing. And I don't edit the podcast, but I have a long time. And then, you know, when I ever have to edit one, I realize that you make five or six hundred decisions, really, when you're editing a podcast with a bunch of tracks and guests and locations and sound effects, stuff like that. You're making hundreds of decisions in the edit, and every one of them is consequential. And then by the end, when you get done, it takes a, a good amount of time if you have to babysit all the way through a, a long, an hour, 
and a half episode, and then you're left with, I think I got it right, or I can spend another 90 minutes to find out, just to go back and listen after you spend an hour or two. And so people will send you a message that, what kind of idiot are you? You left a minute of silence. You must be the worst editor in the world. Why did you think it was okay to have a person talking while an ad was playing? It's, you know, stuff like right. that. Like, of course I didn't think. Nobody, that's not a dummy or a bad editor. Somebody doesn't know the difference. It's easy to make mistakes. So, anyway. Uh, uh, and Ray, you're a podcaster, so you know. But the, the interesting thing about podcasting is... It is all audio. So there is a, for, at least for me, when I listen to podcasts, there is a little bit of a mental image about what's going on. I have, I, I'm kind of one of those people that I'm seeing Joe Rogan talk with his buddy or whoever's on there, you know? And so what's like when I edit Badass, the Unstoppable podcast, and there's lots of tracks and voices and this and that and all this stuff. Um, the thing that ends up, uh, I realize now is that because of that, you are stopping somebody's mental image of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like they, they, yes, all of a sudden, when they hear a silence or something like that, then the whole uh, thing kind of comes falls apart a little bit because you built this little bit of a world for them, and now it's gone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the, the train comes off the tracks, and then all of a sudden, people are just like, "Oh, wait a minute!" Like I, I am in this this thing that it's just getting piped directly in my ears, and yeah, I totally understand what you're talking about. It's like the the simulation falls apart, or the fourth wall is broken. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ray, so you've been a podcast for a long time, longer than us. One of the first podcasts I did as a guest when I got into podcasting was you. You must be one of the first person that noticed my talent and asked me to come on your show. Must have been. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> absolutely, identified the fact that you, your your dulcet southern tones would uh, would just would just pipe through, and my audiences would go. Uh, my audience would just you know go bananas over it. So I know a lot of our audience knows your podcast anyway. It's called A Hundred Words or Less. But you started doing it when a long time ago. You're one of the older podcasters I know, both in cardinal age and time spent in the medium. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I did because I, I got into it, uh, podcasting in general, not my show, but just podcasts in general in like the mid 2000s, like just via my obsession with technology. And then when I came around to the idea, it was like 2009 or so is when I just decided to throw something together with two of my friends. And then um, I realized that working with friends is terrible, as you guys can probably attest to. Um, but and then I <laughs> just uh, as far as the schedules are concerned, because it basically it just. I, I did this iteration of my show called First World Problems, and then it was just, uh, it was a nightmare because it would be like, all right, this dude's coming over and like we need to record, and then one person will bail out. And then I'm like, cool, I gotta tell this person who like carved time out of their day that they couldn't do this. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a nightmare. So then finally, I was just like, all right, I'm gonna do it on my own. And that, you know, 100 Words or Less has been existing now since 2000. Yeah, 12, I want to say, 2011, so it's like five five or so years. Yeah, that's a long time. Do you How many episodes do you have? Do you know? What's the number you're on? 270-something. Yeah, 270. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so you're an early adopter of stuff like that, technology, but you also are a band dude and a straight-edge dude, and that's what I would like to talk about a little bit today. Uh, I don't know if you. Yeah, I want to grill. I want to grill you. No pun, pun yeah. intended. Yes, yes, please. That's, that's what. That's what grill I'm you like for, a Boca friend. burger. He means right. <laughs> not like a not like a pork shoulder. Um, okay, so but you let's let's get your full history here. You were in a band called Taken, and that was way back too. So even on screaming and singing and hardcore music and punk and indie grand, indie and underground DIY all that, you were an early adopter too. So tell me about when you got into those things. At what what year and what age you were. Southern California, yeah, so I, too, by the way. That's how everybody yeah. gets into everything. They live in Southern California. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
the 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 cultural hub that is Southern California and all the uh, you know skate punk and everything that existed. So yeah, I mean it, it was. I think I was about fourteen or so is when I first started to get independent music um, via the same ways that a lot of other people do from you know Epitaph Records and Fat Records and stuff like that. Um, and then Descendants was a huge band for me. Uh, but then it, it, I started uh, a different version of Taken, but essentially my first band, which was called Doom Society, which I always love people's first band mm-hmm. names because they tell so much of what the band sounds like. And so you can probably close your eyes and imagine what Doom Society sound like. Um, so that that was probably 97-ish or so. Um, and then Taken started playing in about 98. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things, as in most people that have a similar background as me, where, you know, just a, a total middle-class white dude uh, living in the suburbs, and then all of a sudden this angry music started to, you know, occur. And I was like, I, li- I, I, I like this. I can't put my finger on really why I like this, but it uh, basically it offered up another point of view because prior to that, it was one of those things where, you know, throughout most of our lives, we have one set of either beliefs or viewpoints, and then all of a sudden, once another person introduces something different, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Oh, so everything isn't cool? Like we're everybody isn't like, you know, uh just this this happy, you know, middle class existence and like there are other perspectives in the world and I think that's what really uh got me and then got me involved not only f- tickling my fancy as far as a musical perspective but then also um from the political philosophical perspective where I was like, okay, this is different than all the music that's on the radio, mm-hmm. not only sonically but then philosophically as well where it's like oh man this is hard stuff yeah so straight edge uh straight edge itself is something that we didn't grow i mean you may have known what that was in high school or stuff like that but i don't think we ever ran into it till i kind of remember joey do you remember first time we ran into straight edge stuff or did you have a i remember when it was for me i was with you but did you have a grip on straight edge stuff growing up i did did? i did later on in high school for sure just because of the music that my brother and I listened to, the punk scene and all that. Was it you did were there straight edge bands you knew and liked what way back when you were doing music in high school and stuff like that? Or did, what was your opinion of straight edge? Like what was your for Joe? I mean, ob- if you obviously was, as obviously as a Christian, I thought it was super cool, especially when it involved people that didn't believe in God, I was like, man, that's pretty cool. You don't even believe in God and you do all this stuff. <laughs> well, wait, know? hang on a second. Uh, but here, here's what's funny is... Well, I got to stop point- you on that, though, but that, I'll, I'll let you finish. But that's that's kind of... Why would that be? Because that sounds crazy. Just, like, just what you're because saying is I, you don't care whether or not they believe in God. You're just happy other people don't like drinking and smoking and cussing. <laughs> right? Like, that no, just proves I, I, I just, yeah, the I just moralism had such of a, Christianity. Exactly. I just had a, a such a right or wrong mentality. I was mm-hmm. like, man, they're, they're kind of with me sort of thing. And, and I probably deep down inside thought, oh, they're just one step away from surrendering everything to God. You know? Yeah, That's like they're, they're close. I, they're close already. Yeah, right? I mean, they've already <laughs> done the hard work. Yeah. They've done the hard work. Now all yeah. they have to do is just confess with their mouths, and then they are good to freaking wow. go, man. It's the, it's the clarity of mind that we obtain by not you know, consuming these products that therefore, like you said, you're one step away from being like, oh man, I've dropped all the burdens of the world. And now I got, now I got the big man in my sights. Yeah. There was actually a point in my life when I thought there was actually a point in my life where I actually thought that straight edgers did not say any cuss words either. Yeah. Or caffeine. That's what I was, well, that's what I was going to say. I'd never, I mean, surprise, surprise in like the eighties and nineties straight edge in Greer, South Carolina wasn't a huge thing. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't. And so anytime I ever heard of anything like it, I didn't know. And there, it felt like, 
And, and Ray, I don't know if you can clear this up or not. It seems like there's all kinds of different uh, groups or strands of it or something like that. Like some people, like I heard some people, they don't have, they didn't have sex e- either. Or then some did. And it, it almost sounded a little bit like a religion outside of Christianity to me. I don't, I, was it only, was, it's like most straight edge, no drugs and no meat? Or is there just tons of different it, it, kinds? Yeah. So the simple, to distill it down in simplest of terms, Straight edge, you know, from the, you know, uh, the, the mountaintops of uh, Minor Threat and Ian Mackay, you know, that was basically just like no smoking, no drinking, um, you know, no drugs. Like those were the kind of core tenets in which the straight edge philosophy was was born. And that was born out of the fact that, you know, the nihilism of the punk scene in the early 80s, uh, you know, that's why Minor Threat and all these bands that started to, you know, coin the term straight edge and like apply it to their lives that's why they did it because they just saw all these people like who are total burnouts you know but then as the movement and the philosophical you know uh underpinnings of it started to grow that's where you started to see all the game of telephone being played where it's just like oh yeah you know this person uh this person's straight edge but they smoke cigars like i'll never forget (laughs) there's this i swear this 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 band uh you know who is very notorious within the hardcore community called one life crew they put out a, a record on victory records um you know very right wing um you know actually they would probably uh play a show based around trump at this point (laughs) if they were to exist (laughs) now but in any event i just heard about something called cigar edge where it was like (laughs) these dudes (laughs) these dudes claimed straight edge except they smoke cigars in their local cigar shop and like you know my 17 year old (laughs) brain i was like what the hell are they talking about? It makes no sense. But um, so that's anyways, breaking edge from from your view. That would be edge broken. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, from uh, from yeah. my sort of but and the, to, to your point in regards to you know like not eating meat and all that stuff. Basically, as all those other philosophies from like vegetarianism and veganism started to get like layered on on top of it, that's where uh, the common conception of like, oh, you're straight edge, so you must be vegan. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot of people who are, who are one or the other, you know? And so, uh, but yeah, it just gets confusing as it goes along. It's really funny thinking back to though, like all those, uh, hardcore straight edge bands, their green rooms had to be just the most boring work. Like there's no drinking. Uh, Oh, you're reading another Ayn Rand book. Cool. I mean, like, well, how boring was their green well, room? I, like, I use I I would use the term green room very lightly because during that time, you know, no, ba- I mean, right. the largest bands in that era were like, you know, whatever, Earth Crisis and Strife, and yeah, they were big, but it's not like they were even touring on the levels that, frankly, that you guys toured at, mm-hmm. where it was like, you know, you're playing the House of Blues venues, like all those things didn't really, you know, exist. So they didn't really right. have green rooms; they just hung out and you know did stupid shit like. You know, shoot paintballs at each other. You know, yeah, right. but Tom it kind Fullery. of changed over time. So by the time I found out, the first time I ever saw Straight Edge or knew what it was was when we played at that VFW hall in Charleston. By the way, Toby and Joey, and we played with a oh, band yeah, called yeah, yeah. John. It was called John Revolta. John Revolta yeah, yeah, yeah. was the band's name, which I thought was a cool name. It was like Gosh, John Travolta, but. So cool. um, and I was like, what? You mean you? I, I just couldn't understand what it was or what are the rules? You know, I was just trying to go through that whole thing with it. But then later on, the next time it had any, we had any real exposure with it would be, you know, SoCal, Orange County kind of crew. And when we toured with 18 Vision, some of them were straight edge, at least at the time, and some not. 
And then we got hooked up. So we had a tour manager that was from Huntington Beach that said he was straight edge and or was straight edge, I suppose. But there's this other version of it that was prevalent in the touring scene when bands were doing well and popular and stuff like that. And this is what I would make of it. And this is from a very outside point of view. But it was people, they were super, you know, their language was not clean. And they were extremely... Okay, so they didn't drink or do fun stuff, or you know, in those ways that you're saying the green rooms might not have been fun. But here's fun stuff. But, yeah, but, but, but I, I take I take offense okay, to that, Matt. Fair I will enough. fight you. I'm sorry, I won't say fun stuff. Cool stuff. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, even yeah, worse. You're done. So they weren't. They didn't. They didn't do the things that I think are cool or fun. But they it, just like anything when you repress something, it has to have this other edge so there was a lot of violence a ton of sex and then their language was was dirty but that didn't not that that mattered much but i always saw a really high output in a lot of this straight edge crew where they were very sexually active or aggressive uh and and also very prone to violence and beating people's asses and then you say on the other side of the country in the northeast when they'd have the fsu which you know crews and and stuff like that that always seemed to be yeah. tied to straight edge where these people will beat your ass and then they were always you know sexually they were doing things that were disturbing that, well that yeah that that basically the you know kind of the the quote unquote hardline movement mm-hmm. started to happen in the mid 90s and that those are the people that you're talking about where it's like you know in the same way that like you know direct action and protesting like that sort of stuff started to be more prevalent where people were forcing their views upon others and um yeah and and then you know once it came to you know rise to prominence in regards to what you're talking about as far as you know bands becoming successful within the genre and then uh you know just basically being debaucherous mm-hmm. with you know females or whatever yeah. sexual partners they were looking for you know i think that was just basically unbridled um, you know, ego, where mm-hmm. these these people who were at some level of stature were taking advantage of, you know, and, and frankly, it did that didn't that wasn't um, directly attached to the straight edge scene. That was just basically all of a sudden, young seventeen to twenty year olds getting in front of people, yeah. and then all of a sudden having girls like them, and they're just like, right. oh wow, I, I guess I'll take advantage of this. But to your right. point. That wasn't, um, you know, straight edge was definitely not an exception to the rule uh, from that perspective. Yeah, because Great, I mean, from like, Joey, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask how Im- how important is it for straight edge people for other people to know that they're straight edge people? How important is it for straight edge? Um, I think at one point it was definitely. It, it, you just had a common understanding, you know, like when you met another person and they were, you know, they are straight edge. It was just like, oh, cool. Like we, we will probably have similar interests. Like we will be able to hang out right away. Um, and sort of the self-identifying nature of whether it's, you know, you're literally wearing X's to the shows you're attending yeah. or straight edge merch or whatever. Um, you know, I think that's definitely sort of the youthful exuberance side of things where, you know, yeah. once you, the first couple of years are into it, you're wearing all this straight edge merch and <laughs> have all this stuff happening. But, you know, as, as one girl's older, they understand that that's just kind of a part of who they are, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, it, that's definitely important when you first start to get into it. Yeah. Cause so, do people, I mean, grow, cause do people making... grow out of it. Like the, the they like, I mean, it seems like a lot of people I knew, 10 years ago were straight edge and then as they get older they they really love craft beer and become oh, the man let's you cover see that, that a lot let's cover that but yeah. at this point let's go ahead and tie this because we're obviously in the territory of saying there's obviously a lot of parallels between christianity and evangelicalism and identity and so well, let's that's, get that's to that wanted... after we explore joey's but 
are it went to Joey's point are straight was there a straight edge movement how did it a view others like look down upon them in the way Christianity does and then how evangel evangelistic was the nature of it like what from in, from your point of view inside did you want to convert others and did you look down on others yeah uh so I'll I'm coming at it from the angle where I I, I am I, I am well I, I guess I would be a typical person in regards to like I guess the makeup of my demographic mm-hmm. but my my uh, personal philosophy in regards to straight edge um was very much like I, I felt like in my life this was given to me as a tool by God it, because and I'll, I'll explain it further by saying that. Um, so I went to private Christian and Lutheran high schools my entire life, and it wasn't until high schools when I first started to adopt, you know, straight edge, and like it just it defined me already because I didn't wasn't into partying or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I'll I'll never forget it was like my freshman year of high school, um, and I this I, I can't I can't even believe they did this, but this was they thought this was a good idea. So they would have uh, two seniors uh, in in because we took obviously theology classes, so two seniors would quote unquote witness to a freshman. So, you know, kind of give them some pointers about how high school is and all that sort of stuff. So on the surface, sounds okay. But I got thrown in with two dudes who were just like, you know, hard partying guys like, oh man, I was totally fucking this girl on the the pool table over the weekend. And like, they Mm -hmm. were sharing these stories with me. And I was just like, what? Like, I, I mean, I wasn't naive, but at the same time, I was like, yo, I'm going to like a Lutheran high school. Like maybe I can expect this like a regular, quote unquote, regular public high school. But it it just blew my mind. And so it pushed me even further towards this idea that I needed to differentiate myself even more than just calling myself Christian, Lutheran, whatever it was I was calling myself at the time and still do. I needed to have an additional layer of sort of classification and protection in order to push myself away from these people because it would be like, yeah, whatever. They'd go out, you know, do all these debaucherous things on a Saturday night and then show up to church on Sunday. And I was like, dude, this doesn't align with my own personal headspace. But anyways, that I just I had to kind of load that out there because I my experience, it really because a lot of people would come at me and be like, Dude, if you self-identify as Christian, why are you even straight edge? Like that doesn't make any sense. Straight edge is of this world and totally, uh, you know, corrupt and has all these all these negative things that you each one of you guys brought up. But like I said, for me, it was a very I use this as a tool rather than like the center. You know, I don't worship straight edge. You know, I don't go to straight edge uh, right. worship services or anything. And so that's kind of the the differentiation I saw. But as far as the forcefulness and evangelization, um, I didn't I didn't notice that people were sort of evangelistic in getting other people to like do you know like oh you should be straight edge but there definitely was the notion of like when you were straight edge you obviously had a different um crew of people that you rolled with so we would do you know basically just sort of like stupid you know childish vandalistic stuff vandalistic isn't even a word but you know vandalism (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so you know we would get into things where it'd be like oh yeah we're gonna go to disneyland and you know try to like make out with girls at the haunted mansion and then like you know try to clog the toilets at disneyland and so it's like you would be explaining this to people and they would be like (laughs) oh so like i'm just going to go over to drink at a friend's house and you know we would come up with these like Mm -hmm. really you know intricate plans of like, all right, we're going to go cliff diving at midnight in Laguna beach. And like, 
you know, all this stuff that we had the time to kind of do. So I think that was the only sort of evangelistic thing where people got drawn to the sort of weird activities that we were into um, and not, you know, the, uh, the, the quote unquote fun police that you're placing on us, Matt. Yeah. Um, well, no, it's a combination of those things, but they're weird. But it was there, is there, is it an elitism to it though, where you, you think the other people are other? Cause that's part of the po- problem with the sexual ethic that really disturbed me. It seems like it was like this predatory thing. Like, it's like, Oh, these stupid drunk girls. We don't like people that drink, and we'll just take adva- super take advantage of them and, and laugh all the way to the bank. Like it's it's a function of of elitism in some in some sense. As, as some, yeah, like are are you, are you comfortable with saying everybody else is wrong who's not straight edge? Like is this is it to each his own, or would you say no? You, you probably should be straight edge. I, I still like you if you're not, but you should be. But but Ray, and we'll get to this too. But Ray's not your norm. Ray is not the, any of these people I'm describing whatsoever. Right. right? Oh yeah, and we'll get. There's more reasons why that is. But I'm asking in the tone of the Orange County and the punk and the straight edge scene, it is it judgmental us and them type of thing. What does that feel like from the inside? Is what I'm asking. I feel it's less judgmental and more sort of sectioning themselves off. You know, it's one of those things where your common experience of high school, college, or whatever, I'm just not taking a part of that. And yes, through that, there is sort of, you know, a level of superiority or, you know, that mentality. And I know that obviously people really, uh, you know, adopted that once, you know, the violence started to happen and like, you know, trying to, you know, make example of a person who's, you know, Mm. partying too hard or whatever. Um, But there was definitely more of just like, hey, the common track of your typical high school experience, um, I'm not, I'm not a part of that. You know, I've completely stepped out of it and I have my own community to, you know, grow in, um, you know, positive and negative. Um, so I do think, I think it's, it, and granted, yes, like I said, some of that is a byproduct of the, you know, judginess and being judgmental, uh, but I think overall, it's just kind of like basically zigging while everyone else is zagging, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What are some of the good things about straight edge? Like, is it mainly like you feel like your mind's clear or you're able to see things? Like, is it is it a protest in a way? Yeah. I, well, f- uh, for me specifically, it definitely is a protest where it's just like, you know, uh, not uh, not you know, you vote with your money and these companies that, you know, are, are making millions and millions of dollars, whether it's, you know, tobacco, you know, alcohol, all these things that, you know, just don't care about me as a human being. They just, you know, want to sell me these products and sell me this, this lifestyle. Um, you know, I abstain. And so, uh, you know, that's a positive thing where it's like you, and the, another positive notion is the fact that you are taking, you know, ownership over your life in regards to, there's literally no crutch that I could ever lean on in making bad decisions. You know, it's not like I'm like, Oh dude, I was so wasted. Yeah. Yeah. I was so wasted the other night. It's like, well, I like, I really made a terrible decision. I should have done that (laughs) more correctly. Um, so I think those two things are really positive and, you know, as in with any community that arises from a philosophy, just that that uh, you know bond that you feel with people, where it's like, oh man, like we're we're doing this mm-hmm. together, we're on the same page. That community is really um, positive. And this, I know, this is kind of symptomatic in regards to independent music in general. But sort of the self starter, do it yourself is kind of exemplified in Straight Edge as well, as far as just like, I'm a positive person, and like, you know, all this sort of cliched yeah. notions of what Straight Edge was in the the 80s with bands like Youth Today and being like, you know, clean cut and PMA, positive mental attitude, that sort of stuff. So even though those are cliches in a way, I think that is a really positive way to live your life, regardless of if you're Straight Edge or not. And it's like, yeah, you don't want to be walling around in the negative pool for 
years and years at a time. So I think those were all really positive things that I noticed and I've adopted in my life. Well, let's talk about the other bad Christian parallel that Toby was hitting at a little bit before. And Toby, you can take this question if you want there, but it was uh, along the lines of what I'm going to call, you know, the deconstruction and people leaving, um, breaking edge. Yep. Well, I, <laughs> how I, common I, that I, may be. Before we dive into that, I'll tell you an anecdotal story that I think will, you know, lead well into this. So, um, you know, I went to, like I mentioned, I went to a Lutheran high school. We had a student population of maybe like, I don't know, 600 or something like that. So it wasn't a very large high school, but it was large enough to where, you know, we, it wasn't like we were going to class with like five other people. So by this time it was like, I was a senior, you know, I was, I had already <laughs> proudly proclaimed that I am straight edge, you know, uh, like I would be <laughs> so ridiculous, but my mentality in regards to straight edge is like, you know, usually if you were straight edge, you would go to a show and you would X up both hands, you know, that's just kind of like your yeah. show, your quote unquote show attire. So my logic was like, okay, that is like the show version of straight edge, but on my day to day life, I'm just going to X up one hand. <laughs> and I'll show up to school with an X on one of my hands because that's a less formal straight edge. Mm-hmm. And so like my sophomore year of high school, it's like, I'm, I think most of the year I just showed up to school with one, one X and I, it's like, what the hell was I picking? But anyways, <laughs> that just should, I, I, I like to call that kid logic, but <laughs> so anyways, by this time, the whole school clearly knows what I'm into music, straight edge, everything like that. So and by that time, this like I graduated high school in 99, and like we were mentioning before, the sort of violent aspects of straight edge started to really pop up, like getting featured on, you know, mainstream news programs and like, you know, doing local news pieces on like, you know, the straight edge crews around or whatever. So that started to become more prevalent. So, uh, you know, uh, Focus on the Family magazine was obviously a thing at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc, was James, James Dobson? Dobson wasn't, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I remember walking by at my school office one day and seeing an article about Straight Edge taped up on the window that was publicly facing. And it was about, I, I so distinctly remember, it said, being bad to do good. And so it was this article, I mean, it's just a short, you know, whatever, 300 word article about straight edge. Like, you know, in theory, this sounds cool, but oh my gosh, these people are so violent and they're just doing horrible things. And so I looked at that and I was like, why? The hell are they? Pu- I'm the only strangest person in this school. Why are they putting this up? I felt so attacked by them. Wow. I like went, I went into the principal and I was like, listen, you th- like you may be doing this as a public service. I am the only person here. I felt straight up attacked. And I was like, you know what? this is not the way that you get people to, you know, oh, like I'm going to stop being straight edge and I'm going to be a Christian. Like I was like, this is so antithetical of the way that I viewed this entire school. And so that really bummed me out. But to your point or what you're going to lead into where it's like, that was such a, a real hard line that people, you know, Christians, Lutherans, whatever were placing, uh, you know, upon me and other people that started to, you know, identify in the Christian music scene, as you know, straight edge, like it just that never really happened. Like you never were Christian straight edge. You were either one or the other, and it's mm-hmm. so interesting. Well, you know, w- the most common thing out there is for in the ba- in the band world, there's been a million straight edge bands, but there's just as many or more. I want your answer on if, which of those two it is that the guys are, that are the most fun to hang out and party with and drink and everything else. They all still have their exes from when they used to be straight edge. So it's Absolutely. called breaking edge and it's, it's really common. So how, how common oh, yeah. is that? Yeah. 
Oh, it's very. I mean, the the there was a they have uh, X tattoos uh, all over them, but it doesn't matter. You know, that's that's the, the stereotype <laughs> there. Well, totally. I mean, you look at you can run through almost all of the uh, you know bands that were popular in the movement, whether it's late mm-hmm. '80s, early '90s, mid '90s, and like you can really only point. I mean, Earth Crisis. They're still all straight edge, and they're still all vegan. Like they mean what they say. Um, you know, bands like Strife. It's like there are no members of that band that are still straight edge, and so there. That is totally <laughs> what happens in most cases. Most where cases. I would say so, because I mean, it's like so. I'm 36 years old, and like I can, you know, think of you know my close group of friends, and it's like there's probably. I mean, just because I've existed in the community for a while, you know, there's probably 20 or 30 people I can think of that are in Southern California that are of my age and, you know, quote unquote class of uh, hardcore kids that are still straight edge. But a lot of them just drop off. And I think a lot of it has to do, I mean, there was a band called Good Clean Fun who had a song that just talked about being true to your 21, you know, where it's like, oh, the first opportunity to drink comes along and then I will not not be straight edge anymore. It's like a rite of passage for some people. You know, they do that until they're, you know, it's just like, oh, of course I was straight edge when I was 19 and in a band or something. (laughs) But that's just, that was just cute. And it's funny that I have these tattoos now. It's kind of the attitude a lot of people take. You know, but but the, the parallel there that is interesting is when you're young, just like youth group, you know, at church and stuff like that, you are, there's something about the discipline and the fire of it that really captures you right and then as you get older do you just do you just feel a little weaker or more relaxed or more comfortable like i mean like like ray for you you just aren't going to drink no matter what right just because it's just not for you or whatever but i mean it, is there anything that like uh, even outside of straight age that you've like laxed on and and feel more comfortable and do it, like because that's the way i think of it is christianity too like i feel like when i was young i, I thought Anybody that wasn't a Christian is definitely going to hell. It was my responsibility to share the gospel. Uh, you know, anybody in, uh, in a blue state was a real bad person. All these things that were taught to me growing up in southern in the South. And then as I got as I've gotten older, my view of God has really changed. And so there are some things that are more lax now. Like I don't think of alcohol as a sin. <laughs> you know, I used to think it was a sin or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm pro legalizing marijuana, which I, I promise you, when I was a you know teenager, twenty years old. I would have thought though, anybody that smokes marijuana. Well, no, not at that time because I actually was smoking marijuana then. But after that, uh, right. I, I you know I got pretty hardcore conservative. Do you think it's like, like does it bother you that that people leave straight edge? Like, do you see some things in it that aren't that bad? Or I, I think the the only thing that concerns me when people uh, well two two things that I quote unquote have a problem with when people you know stop being straight edge. Um, one is the fact that you know usually. Uh, people, you know, haven't done like usually people's entry point is when they're younger. So they haven't, you know, done hard drugs. They haven't hard, you know, gone the opposite end of the spectrum in regards to hard alcohol and stuff like that. You know, maybe they've tried a beer or whatever, but you know, the pendulum swings the other direction where it's like all of a sudden this person who, you know, six months from not being straight edge is, you know, in the gutter with needles in their arm. And like, granted that's hyperbole, but yeah. The, the the notion that people swing so far in the opposite direction and end up, you know, a shell of themselves where it's like, dude, I like I understand you may not want to do this anymore. And that's totally fine because, you know, a lot straight edge is a youth based movement. And I don't expect people to be, you know, I'm an adult. I don't need to call myself straight edge anymore. Mm-hmm. But like but I but I do. Um, but I think it's one of those things where that's that that concerns me when a person goes, you know, that direction where it's like, oh, and I know anybody would be concerned right. about that. 
Um, and then the second thing is when people stop being straight edge and then they look at that as a sort of like token thing that they were into. It's like, oh, it's cute. I, you know, I was like, I was into emo for a couple of years, but you know, that shit's whack. Or what, you know, it's like, right. you. yeah. Yeah. And I just feel it's like that there's really no reason that a person should talk bad about whatever philosophical movement that they may have been a part of. Um, when in reality, I mean, especially it's like I'm looking at people who, you know, maybe like played in straight edge bands and, you know, say negative things about the, you know, philosophical movement now. And I'm just like, dude, but you were so passionate about this. And like, you don't need to throw stones. Like you can just be simply say like, I'm not straight edge anymore. And that's fine. But you don't need to talk crap about it. So those are the two, I guess, negative feelings that I have towards people who, you know, quote unquote, sell out or whatever. It's like, but other than that, yeah. As a vegan and the guy, and, and Ray used to work at PETA, full-time job, even before he was full-time in podcasting and, and his podcasting job now, is uh, is it similar with vegan? Like, it's it's not, you're, a good way to go, some people would say, is just eat less meat, for instance. Like, that's a, a much better thing than say, fuck veganism, watch this, I'm open a barbecue joint. Like same kind of thing. Like, it, like, can you, from a straight edge point of view or a vegan point of view, just appreciate that Joe will eat one less cheeseburger a week? Oh, or, for or sure. Or drink some beer, but still maintain your edge mentality. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm gonna do caffeine now or beer, but I'm not trying to pendulum swing or renounce the, the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, I, everything in moderation. I mean, the the beliefs and extremes. You don't believe um, you that know, about cocaine, right? No. <laughs> true it's true uh but the i mean if a person is being responsible about what like i can't convince a person if i were to sit here and argue with them for an hour but if i have a conversation they see how i am as a person they see you know leading through actions rather than um you know trying to browbeat a person into believing a philosophy mm-hmm. You're only going to come along once you start getting exposure to these things. Once you start to have a knowledge about certain things existing, like if you have gone through and like looked at animal rights and looking at, you know, vegetarianism and veganism and you're like, yo, that's not for me, but I've thought about it and I'm going to, you know, curb or change some behaviors. That's great. That's all that anybody can ask for. And so I think the, you know, the all or nothing approach, like, you know, even when I was working at PETA, that was definitely many discussions we had where it's like, you can't, it's not like you wake up one day and all of a sudden it's like, all right, cool. I'm not wearing any animal products. I'm not consuming any animal products. And like, I'm a vegan. It's like, that's a, that's a slow road. Not everybody can do that. And so I think that's, uh, you know, and that's why, frankly, movements exist now uh, because of the you know slow progress on these things, and it's not the you know overzealous nature of just being uh, being that thing or nothing, and you're a complete loser if you're not doing it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, Ray, thank you. Ray's podcast is called A Hundred Words or Less, and thanks for talking with us a little bit this yeah. morning, Ray. My absolute pleasure. I like you guys' show, and it's fun to hang out with you uh, digitally. Yep, absolutely. Nice meeting you, man. <laughs> and so, Ray, if you don't mind, send me that file of your recording if it worked there. That would be, I'd appreciate it. No problem. All right, I'm going to drop you off here, and we'll wrap the show up. But thank you, Ray. See you soon. See you, Ray. See you, guys. Guys, I didn't want to say anything while he's on here. I saw tons of liquor on his shelf in the back. Did y'all see that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Have y'all? He had a shelf, like a bookshelf, and there was lots of liquor. <laughs> I pray that's his wife. <laughs> uh, I pray his wife's a raging alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs>
have y'all, he didn't lie to us. Have y'all ever met a vegetarian that like or, that orders like supreme French fries and nachos, and they're like the most unhealthiest eater ever? But yeah. they're like, yeah, I just don't believe in eating meat. Well, I mean, you can be those things for different reasons. I mean, you can be, you know, not worry about health at all and be about animal yeah. rights and kind of stuff like that. So, so you, so you want to take care of animals, but you don't want to take care of yourself. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's just. I think vegetarian. I was, I was hey, vegetarian hey, this, for this, six this, months. I know this is this is the uh, this shows how conservative I was. I was thinking about that, Toby, when we were talking to him. There was a part of me. I was sitting with your brother-in-law across from you. I think we were at Seattle. Maybe it was the weekend you were getting married. Was that around the time when you were a vegetarian? Maybe so. Yeah, maybe and so, actually. I remember feeling like I needed to give you a compelling case to start eating meat again because I almost <laughs> felt I almost felt like it was wrong. <laughs> like you were falling in this hippie trap <laughs> that was going to finally lead you away from Jesus. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I just felt like, oh, no, he's going liberal. He's going to start thinking gay people should get married and you shouldn't eat meat. I mean, I... I'm telling you, I was I was the I was the dude in 2004 that would have been devastated. 2014 if, in 2004 when <laughs> I would have been devastated if George Bush didn't win the presidency. I think Republicanism was like my religion. Yeah, I mean, I mean you used was, to really follow like Republican stuff pretty hardcore. Like you were, oh, yeah. you actually really enjoyed so following weird. politics. So is yeah. it just it just boils down to everything that isn't totally in line with you is a threat? Is it that scare? Is it th- that much fear that just wait a second? V- that's a different way of eating than me. Therefore, it must be different than me, and I'm with Jesus. So if it's different I, than me, yeah, that, I just that, yeah. Because I, I, I really don't know. I can't point a finger on why it bothered me so much, but I remember having a feeling that I was, like, losing Toby. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was eating a salad, and you thought the devil had a hold of me. Yeah. <laughs> that is some good stuff there. <laughs> that, that really is. I'm, I'm glad you're changing. I mean, I, it's crazy. Like, like, here's what's funny, though. Like, here's what's really funny. The, I mean... That that guy in 2004, Joey, would think that the 2017 Joey is in trouble. Oh, for right? sure. Oh, no, I'm going time. to hell. Like, 2004 Joey would for sure say, well, 2017 Joey better get his act together because he is on the way to hell. I mean, it's just... I, I and, and here's the misconception so much about people change or, or people's perception of other people that change. It's just like, oh, you're just, you're just selling out. You're just bowing down to what everybody else thinks or, or whatever you want to say. Like I, I fought against these things like this. I mean, imagine 2004 Joey would have been scared to think of, of this slippery slope that I'm in right now, but yeah. it's not something that I ever decided to do. I mean, I had a, uh, I had a guy on Pastor With No Answers. The episode just came out um, today, I guess. And here is a guy that approaches the Bible probably at a higher level than I do. Not intellectually, definitely higher intellectually, but I think he he reads it more literal, uh, puts probably more stock on it than I do, and I put a good bit of stock on it. But he is coming out on the other end basically saying, no, I'm pretty sure the Bible is teaching that Jesus saves everyone and he's the hero. And it's like I'm starting to really pick up on the fact that a lot of stuff that we are taking to the bank in our beliefs, it's it's because it was traditionally taught to us. And there's just as much evidence for 
an opposing view in the Bible. And so that I think that's been probably the biggest vehicle in me change on backing off of so much and being way more open minded is is recognizing and labeling the fact that most of my beliefs they're taught uh, they they came from people that pointed to the Bible and said, "Hey, I know how to read this. Everybody else is reading it wrong." And every people have to admit that's wrong for 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 a certain group of people to point to the Bible and say, we're reading this right, everybody else is reading it wrong. I mean, basically, your systematic theolo- you know, theology approach to the Bible, which I just, I don't know, man. Do not know. But I feel closer to Jesus than ever. That's the thing. Get, a, get rid of all that religious bullshit and get closer to Yeah, like to you Jesus. got rid of hell, apparently the Bible, all that stuff, but Jesus <laughs> is just as strong. Imagine how tight y'all be once you're just not a Christian anymore. <laughs> I know, golly, you in heaven, you'll be at the next level. He, he's seven, not, he's level not my savior, but I feel no, very close to him. Chill, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's he's awesome. <laughs> All right, I think we've run out of time. No, yeah. no damn news today. But Joey, can you uh, give a list of the BC clubbers? Uh, you, you want me to? I, you, I can't actually. You, you know what? It would be uh, my honor to let you do that. Okay. These are people in the BC club. If you're not in the BC club, then <laughs> basically <laughs> you are <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kyle, Kyle Piper, Piper. <laughs> Seth, Seth uh, Oots, Oots. Oots. <laughs> Dumbass, you can't even read. Granger Hamilton, Granger, Austin Bridge, Bridge James Upchurch, Upchurch, Jacob, Jacob Chart, Rand, Tran, Jake Ross, Jake Ross. Kyle, Kyle Mendoza, uh, Mendoza, Billy Hobbs, Hobbs. Uh, IP Freely. <laughs> Andrew Stull. <laughs> All right. Thank you, BC Clubbers. You make this thing happen. Yep. You Thank are you. our heart, and you are our wallet. Hey, in fact, in fact, our downloads have dropped to the point where the only people that are listening to this podcast are BC Clubbers. We have about a thousand listeners now, and it's you guys. So mm-hmm. you are you are carrying us in more ways than one. That's a terrible, yeah. terrible lie. This is not even good. Like it wasn't, I don't even know what to say. Well, uh-huh. I know what to say. Uh-huh. Come see Emory in Texas. <laughs> I, I don't know if we'll have a Houston show, honestly. So I really do hope everybody in Houston is okay. I don't know if things are yep. going to get worse. But technically, we have a show there if we can still do it. But if not, we're going to be in the surrounding areas uh, in Texas in just a couple of weeks. So go to emorymusic.com. And new, oh, yeah, this is why I keep I just keep saying Texas because we're flying to Texas. But. I've neglected massively to speak about the fact that Emory's coming to Memphis and New Orleans, which we hardly ever and go And Little Rock, to, Arkansas. And Little Rock, Arkansas. So start working on your travel now for that and all the surrounding areas. We probably get there every, I don't know, not maybe not every year at least. So those are special events, and I'm sorry I've neglected to tell the good people of Memphis and Arkansas and, and all that. Uh, not West Memphis, but Memphis. And so if you, you know, go get those tickets, emorymusic.com on that. And also, uh, I think we have a Matt and Toby release date. We did a real nice thing and went ahead and slid directly the Matt and Toby album in full to all the wonderful people that pre-ordered it. And there was a bunch of them. And they all have the full album right now. And nobody else does or can get it other than those people who supported us early on. And yes, there's Christian songs and worship songs on there that we like that are legit and genuine from from Toby and I. Um, And, of course, there's the Forever Rain song that Toby has on iTunes now, which is not legit. 
right? <laughs> yeah, I, I do <laughs> no, it all. I do it legit and non-legit. But we have, we have also. Uh, hey, speaking of Texas, I'll be there with True Man on the eighth, ninth, mm-hmm. and tenth. Uh, hopefully, I'm uh, I'm going to find out too about Houston as well. But True Man experience is going to be a lot of fun, dudes. So Reva, come, what is the uh, Matt and Toby release date though? September 8th, we will have the vinyl right. in. Um, can they still pre-order? People can pre-order it now, Sue, right? Yeah, the vinyl will be October 13th. Okay. So, digital yeah. Digital September yeah. 8th, and then the vinyl will be here in October. Uh, but go ahead and pre-order it. You never know. Sometimes we do nice things, like slide you the album early and things like that. But So that's why that's we right. like pre-order. But, yep, thank you, everybody. That's mattandtobyband.com, emorymusic.com, toby at badchristian.com. And that'll do it. TheBCClub.com. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. JabberjawMedia.com.